Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who gets Atlantis off the maps? Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do. Freemasonry offers an ecumenical brotherhood, a fraternity composed of men of all religions, founded on the practice of the great moral and social virtue. Okay, guys, welcome back to this week's Grime America show, where we'll be welcoming Graham back to the igloo. How is it going, Graham? Hey, it's good, Darren. Glad to be back in the igloo. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, it was a great trip to the Paradigm Symposium 2013. Made it there and back in one piece. I did. Well, without my luggage, my luggage got lost. Of course. Yeah. Brand new luggage. Did you figure out who lost it? Who was responsible? No, it it didn't matter. I got it back the next day, so. Did they bring it right to your house? Yeah. That's not so bad. It's always weird when you have a feeling that when you don't know what gate to connect to yourself, you're like, how's my luggage going to know where to go? And it doesn't. (laughs) Apparently not. Turns out. So I got this story about the the guy at the airport. So I'm going through security for the first time, and I had to go through the second time too. But so, so, uh, and I'm wearing my UFO Congress shirt, and I wasn't sure. Like I was out of clothes, and I didn't go shopping for clothes like I wanted to. Um, so I'm wearing my UFO Congress shirt, and I'm going through security, and that's probably not a good thing to do. Really? No. I don't know. You really? just don't want to highlight that you're, you know. Woo-hoo. Crazy? Why did they hassle you? <laughs> no, but the guy after um, my stuff went through the the detector, he goes, "What's a UFO Congress?" I said, "Oh, it's it's just a symposium." And he goes, "You believe in those?" And I said, "Ah, oh, it's not a belief system." <laughs> I said, "There's lots of evidence out there." And he goes, uh, he mentioned something about aliens. And I said, "See, this is the problem. When people hear UFO, they associate it with aliens right away." Well, you, you, next time just say it's a movie. And he said, uh, no, but he was pretty open-minded. He says, well, I just don't. I, I'm not saying there's nothing out there, but uh, until I see the evidence or whatever, I'm, uh, I'm, un, I'm unsure. So I said, well, that sounds like you got a pretty good open mind there. I mean, you know, if, uh, if you see evidence and you'll, you'll change your mind, that's good. So anyways, it was kind of cool to be open chatting with a uh, security guard about all this stuff. Sweet. And you still got to go on your plane, so that's all good. I think UFOs are okay. as long as you don't have, like, a fucking anarchy symbol or something on your chest. Yeah, that's kind of... I'm sure that's worse. So, um, RPJ. RPJ. Red Pill Junkie. Yeah, I see you sent a nice little gift back with you, so thanks, RPJ. Yeah, and thank you for my little uh, black onyx cat. You got a little kitty cat? Yeah, my cat's going crazy right now. Is it named Zeus? <laughs> Zeus 1 and Zeus 2. Or what's Zeus's buddy's name again? I can't remember. Does Zeus even have any buddies? My Zeus? No, well, like Zeus Zeus. Oh, like Hermes maybe. And yeah, so Did you name your new cat Hermes? No? No. Um, speaking of new stuff, we got to say big thanks to our Kiwi ambassador, Jared Drake. Sent a nice little care package to the igloo we got. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Thanks for the strange candy bars. 
Yeah, yeah, the two candy bars he sent. And a flag. Actually, there was four. I ate two. Oh, yesterday. did you? You probably had the good ones, and these ones are really weird. I had the crunchy, which we do have here. And then the other one was a really good. It was like peanuts. It was like whole peanuts and a chocolate. Hmm. It was good. And then he sent us a New Zealand flag and a little statue, crazy looking little statue. And a postcard. You should read the postcard. I'm going to send Jared uh, a little email with some friends that I'm, I'm looking for uh, that I shared a UFO sighting with in 1990. Two, two girls, they live in New Zealand, or they used to live in New Zealand. 1990. And I can't track them down online, so. I was just, I was, you know, I was probably watching Elf. Elf? That wasn't out then, buddy. No? No, Elf's like five years old. You must be thinking of something else. No, Elf, like the little fucking alien dude. Elf. Oh, Alf. Yeah, Alf. Alf. <laughs> Alf. You know what that stands Alf? for? Alien life for <laughs> So uh, Jared put on his postcard, hey, Darren and Graham, just a little bit of Kiwiana to brighten up the igloo. The reverse of this is my home city. Keep the show strong, boys. All the best. And it's addressed to the igloo, Canada somewhere. That's amazing. You made it. Yeah, and we got an, an email from uh, from Beth here, too, I wanted to share. So Beth was uh, telling us about uh, Robert Temple. I think his name's Robert Temple. Is it Robert Temple? And uh, anyway, she says, uh, your podcasts are fascinating. I've been listening to them for some time now, many of which I've played more than once. I've also tweeted and emailed links to them to a diverse group of friends and media people. Thanks for sharing these I intriguing ideas with us, your fans. That's from Beth DeLapp in Minneapolis. So that's that's a great little email. Um, that's why I, I want to do this, right, Darren? That's why I like this. It's yeah. just sharing, like, being able to talk about stuff openly, right? Sharing it in a non-judgmental way. Yeah, yeah. I think I uh, we I was just talking to a guy the other day that kind of wasn't into any of this stuff, and he kind of stumbled upon our show, and now he's been he's fucking tumbling down the rabbit hole. That's good, man. Get more people down the hole. Yeah. Down the hole, down the hatch. Can it be the rabbit hatch? You could say Warren hole like the Aussies do. Could there be like a, a pole, like a fireman's pole down in the rabbit hole? <laughs> That'd be fun. No? No. All right. Not matrixy enough. What's matrixy enough then? What would be matrixy enough? Maybe you could bend the pole with your mind. Or just fly. So I, we got some cool inner traditions magazines too, eh? Yeah, those I met are, I met the people cool. down there from from inner traditions, and we got the new uh, 2014 spring and summer catalog. Yeah, of course, inner traditions. They hook us up with a few guests, send us some books and and stuff like that, and kind of send us some cards when new books are coming out, so we can so we can decide. Who we who the, who we want to talk to, and they they've been great like that. So yeah, they have a huge extensive uh, catalog of all this kind of uh, spiritual. Um, I don't know even how to say it. High strangeness, paranormal, occult, all this kind of stuff. Really, really good selection of books. Speaking of books, you got a shit ton of them while you're out. Yeah, pretty much. Why I needed to buy a new suitcase. And uh, where your books in the bag almost all got lost then too. No, and, I think I only had a few there. And 
Your Yeti? Yeah, my Yeti was your Yeti lost. Didn't make it. It was lost again. Well, isn't a Yeti just a cross between a wolf and a fucking bear or something? No. Or it's some sort of hybrid bear. Yeah, that just came out. What are you talking about? Google it. It's a Yeti it's bear. It's like the abominable snowman. Oh, Google Yeti bear. I'm telling you. It just came out. They've been talking. Uh, everyone's talking about it. The science scientists came out and said that they say the Yeti, they've tracked it, and it's a hybrid bear. I have too many tabs open. Too many tabs open? It's your, your wireless is too lame to... My wireless? My Mac's working fine. Let's see if I... Let me try. Yeti bear. See? See, it's not working for you either. Oh. Is the abominable snowman a bear, National Geographic? DNA evidence for Himalayan Yetis doesn't bear scrutiny. <coughs> Yeti, abominable snowman or polar bear? Scientist claims he's got DNA evidence proving that Yeti is really a polar bear crossed with a brown bear. That's just like saying fucking Sasquatch is a grizzly. Maybe it is. No, that's silly. Maybe it's a grizzly, that grizzly wolf. <laughs> it's just a hybrid grizzly bear. Do, do you have any more tweets to share Solved. with us? Solved. I just solved Sasquatch. I'm going to write a book. Um, tweets? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, the Red Bull guy, Tramov, Mark Tramov. Is it Mike? Mark? Mike. He tweeted this. He wanted me to said apparently you had talked to him about this at Paradigm. This Benjamin Fulford fella, um, but I was actually reading this page and he seems like a pretty interesting dude. I like where he's talking about there being a Chinese secret society with a membership of six million people and there's a bunch of gangsters and assassins that are out to fucking gun down the Illuminati. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good. His name's Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin Fulford. Do they have their own so. secret space program then to combat the uh, Illuminati secret space program? Well, I don't know. We'd have to ask them. So yeah, let's have them on. We should see if we can have them on. So thanks, uh, thanks to your buddy there. Yeah, and we have. Uh, hey, Mike, how's it going? <laughs> Slow down on the Red Bulls. Though, Our, seriously, I had a Red Bull tonight though, so I guess I can't say much. Yeah. So um, so, so um. um <laughs> <laughs> so we've got lots of guests coming up, though. We haven't really uh, lined them up uh, exactly when, but uh, this is going to go on for a while. We've got lots of good good people coming on. Yeah, yeah, and you have to bear with us. Grandma's away, so we've been kind of in hit and miss with the episodes lately, and it's probably going to get uh, a little more hit and miss before it gets back to regular because... Because well, we're going to have a little baby Grimerican running around, too. Yeah, we're having another Grimerican on Monday. So probably, yeah, this will come out before Monday. So, And we may have a little uh, tiny Halloween-y kind of episode. We're not sure yet if we have time. Yeah, we'll see. Like I say, my wife pops on uh, pops on Monday morning, 8 o'clock. So. Speaking of that, can I play a little... Uh, not speaking of your wife popping, but speaking Jesus. of how ha- speaking of Halloween, can I play a little clip? Uh, okay. Is it planned? A group of travelers in Austria decided to document their vacation with a group photo. They took one photo, but the flash didn't go off. So they took another. 
That flash went off just fine, and they had their photo. But when the film was developed, they noticed something very interesting in the first photo. It was a person who hadn't been sitting at the table with them when the picture had been taken. And the proximity of the image in the photo seemed impossible. They would have been standing right in the middle of the table. It would be natural to wonder why this ghost would appear on film, but not to the party itself. There have been many instances where a ghost might not be able to conjure up the spirit energy to appear to a crowd as a full-body apparition. There are so many distractions in our modern world, but they are able to appear on film or as an EVP, an electronic voice projection. Huh. It's pretty cool, actually. It shows, like, right uh, in this picture, right smack in the middle of the table. Like, there's this extra person in the one picture. Not super. Yeah, I can't see it, so. Anyways, that's uh, <coughs> that's called the Vacation Party Ghost. It's about.com. But you know why I, I played that? It reminds me of what happened to me in uh, the late 80s, probably. Did I late tell you 80s. this, my little ghost do, story? Do, 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 do. No? Do, do, do. What is that? No, I don't know. 80s music. <laughs> so did I tell you this little ghost story yet? Uh, nope. So a bunch, of, a bunch of us are, are uh, up in this uh, turret. It's my, uh, my, actually a woodwork teacher built a turret on his house, attached to his house. And uh, it was rumored to be haunted that uh, they've been having experiences up there. So we were up there. As a group of people, I think we were smoking doobies up there or something like that. It was dark. Doobies. It was dark out. Little pinners. And uh, we took some pictures in there in the dark. So it reminded me of this because I don't know if the flashes went off or not. But anyways, uh, when we when we developed the pictures, it was a picture of a guy, but kind of a guy with his cummerbund and his bow tie and this orb in the picture. So there was two, there was a picture of this glowing orb, and then there was another picture of a guy, kind of like a half guy with his, with his glowing cummerbund. And uh, I remember my girlfriend's mom, we were showing her the pictures and she's just like, oh, don't even go there. Just stay away from it. Like she was basically just warm, warning us uh, off the whole, the whole phenomena. Maybe she had done, had her own experience. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I remember, fuck, when I lived, still lived in Ontario, and uh, my my roommate was working. This was when I first moved out in my own place, and my roommate was working, and he was a fucking night shift security guard. He worked nights all the time, four days on, four days off, solid 12-hour night shift, six to six. And I'd just be sitting around at home, and he used to have to go, like, there's, like, a couple mines there, and the one mine is, like, in a little town a few kilometers away. Just past that beach where I got married, if you keep driving down that road, you get to that other mine. And it was deserted and shut down at the time. And he used to have to go there like fucking three times a night in the middle of the night. And you have to drive to these buildings and you have to like, they have these like swipe cards that they have to go swipe past these readers. And they're off in the back corners of all these fucking buildings so that they can make sure the security guards are actually going and doing their job. Oh, that's creepy. And I was in there fucking, I went with him a couple times and it was fucking super creepy, man. And fucking, he used to like, if no, if I didn't go with him, he'd have to do it by himself at like nine o'clock, midnight and three in the morning. Oh. He's got to go out to this fucking abandoned mine and go into all these old fucking abandoned buildings. And fuck a ton of people got killed. That was like old school mining back in the day. He said he fucking had ghost stories. He said he seen shit there, heard shit. 
We should have him on a little 10 minute uh, tale for Halloween. Yeah, maybe. I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, I could probably track him down. I could probably track him down through the Facebook. So, f- he's probably on the Facebook. So he, he had lots of experiences, though? Yeah, he had a few. I don't know if he's had any other than that, but I don't even know if he'd really be interested in talking to us about it, but I could probably Facebook him. So sticking with the theme of Halloween here, I was checking uh, Amazon.com. <laughs> nice. Going through the website, of course, grimerica.ca. Slash Amazon. Yeah, or you can just click on the Amazon button. Yeah, there's a U.S. button and a Canadian button. Yeah, and, that's good uh, now. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if there's any other buttons, but even if you're in another country, it can't hurt to click on that first. So if you're into zombies, I just search zombie dolls. There's crazy, crazy amount of zombie dolls. <laughs> nice. What are there's accoutrements like? glow in the dark, flesh eating zombies playset. <laughs> How big are they? I think those ones are really small, but uh, there's a. There's a, a brand with? called Wowie. Like There's a Wowie Snow White zombie doll and a Wowie uh, Rapunzel doll. <laughs> a Snow White zombie? Yeah. How much is it? Uh, that one's 40 bucks. 40 bucks. Yeah. American. And then there's a Mezco Toys Living Dead Dolls Zombie Series 22 Maynard. That's is forty that like bucks six too. Bucks Canadian. It looks like Chucky, Chucky from Child's Play in a in a like a monk's robe. Chucky, fuck! I think there's a new Chucky out, isn't there? I don't know. I swear I heard something about a new child. What was it? Child's Play. Do you remember that one when he's in the elevator? He goes, "Fuck you." <laughs> I fucking I can't remember. I, when I was a kid, man, I remember Chucky used to scare the shit out of me. Oh yeah, well, because remember that lady's like, "What an ugly looking doll." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, kids, want to play? Yeah, that was pretty creepy. And that fucking, that clown one, too. Now, now that I'm oh, older, I can watch it. It's super cheap. Yeah, it. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that freaked me out. Stephen King, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the real thing I want to buy from Amazon, though, I was in the store in Halifax, and I saw this uh, iFrog's portable speaker. So it's a, called a near-field portable speaker. For your iPhone. So I've tried all kinds of little mini speakers for the iPhone, and none of them really kind of are up to snuff, right? When you get used to listening to, like, really good headphones. So I put the, put it on there in the store, and you don't even plug it in or anything. You just lay it on top of this thing, and apparently, how does it work? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's some weird field. It's, uh, how silly, I can't even describe airdrop, it. Airdrop, like the airdrop? No, it's not even that. It's some vibrational thing. Oh, is that that fucking thing that you can put on anything and it turns anything into a speaker? Maybe. My friend has one of those. It's, it's like a box. Cool. It's yeah, like a it's box. Just a bit. Thing. It's like a box. You, you put, put it, it on, on it? this and whatever you put it on, it'll play yeah. music. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So, and it sounds really good. So I put Mysterious Universe on because that's the the podcast that actually sounds the best. It's amazing sound. And it, and it fucking blared through. It was beautiful. Beautiful sound. Do you have the higher bit rate plus feed? Yeah, of course. I wonder if that your little vibrating toy can figure out. How much is that thing? Uh, 40 bucks again. 40 bucks for that? 39.99. Let's see. Let me see it. Uh, here. I'll get up. Yeah, there's a new version out too, I think. But uh, that's is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, I, th- I think so. That's the one you can put it on. Whatever you put it on, it turns it into a speaker. Right? Yeah. 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 I've seen that. It was cool. We're putting it on all sorts of shit. It even like on your arm. 
Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, didn't work. So um, we also have been listening to this podcast called uh, THC, The Higher Side Chats. Uh, I think it's out of California. Yeah, San Diego, I think. Actually, yeah, that was a bit... I, I found it... I kind of stumbled upon it doing some research for... Sullivan, I think. Yeah, Sully. Robert Sullivan. Robert W. Rob- Sullivan the fourth. Yeah. And they had him on right before we had him on. And then I think... Uh, Probably a lot of you guys have probably already heard of them. I, I'm thinking we're probably late to the party. On I think so, but, too, yeah. Uh, but yeah. they got a real good show. We've actually been kind of talking with them about uh, doing an episode together, so hopefully that'll come down the pipe here pretty soon. Yeah, I'd love to get together with them and chat about uh, each other's shows and, and some of our theories about stuff and all that. Um, they, it's almost like our doppelganger in a way. I was pretty shocked when I saw their guest list and the way they talk about a lot of topics, like some of the stuff that I'd like to have, maybe a little bit more conspiratorial, a little bit more uh, socially zeitgeisty kind of stuff, but stuff that I'd like to get into. And spiritual too. I think they're talking about, you know, meta, meta, um, metaphysical stuff. Um, so I think, I don't think we have much more than that, eh? No, just Robert Sullivan's coming up on this episode. It was yeah. a really, really good chat with him. Um, He's talking about the Book of Enoch and the parallels between the symbolism there and our modern uh, Freemason society. Ancient aliens, we tried. Yeah, yeah, talked about lots of cool stuff. Um, So, yeah, I think that's what it. Enjoy the interview. And like I say, bear with us over the next few few weeks or even months. It it could get a little sporadic uh, with the new edition, with the new Grimerican coming in. But uh, as always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the interview with Robert W. Sullivan IV. Okay, guys, here in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be chatting with uh, Robert W. Sullivan the Fourth. Um, but first, as always, Graham's here. How's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, I'm doing well, Darren. Nice to be here. Um, Robert Robert W. Sullivan is a philosopher, historian, antiquarian, jurist, theologian, <laughs> writer, and lawyer. And I want uh, Robert to talk a bit about his his, uh, his bio here himself. It's quite extensive. And we're really uh, happy to have you on the show, Robert. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you, guys. And uh, it's wonderful to be here tonight on um, Gramerica Radio. And uh, looking forward to this interview. Um, you know, if you want me to just uh, start off with uh, just a brief introduction about myself. Yeah, yeah I'd like to, to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, um, the, 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 
the, the, the journey of this book um, really began for me when I was an associate student at Oxford University back in 1992-93. Um, I did not matriculate at Oxford. Um, I was an associate student at St. Catherine's College studying history and European philosophy. Um, my alma mater is Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. And it was while I was over there that I was really introduced to what you would, for lack of a better word, call the, the influence and impact of the hermetic tradition on modern society. Um, you know, this, this come, goes back to the Renaissance, you know, themes like with Renaissance magic and philosophy, this goes into the Enlightenment, and these traditions are carried on in what you would call modern-day secret societies, such as like Freemasonry, Odd Fellows, even college fraternities and sororities. Um, and it was over there that I was introduced to these doctrines, and um, it just really, in, in, you know, it just left a mark on me. Um, obviously, I wasn't a Freemason at the time, but um, to make a long story short, I came back to the States, and uh, I just began researching this material more and more, reading people like Albert Pike, Francis Yates, Manley Palmer Hall, people who are really expert in the mystical side of things, um, you know, the arcane symbolism, thing, you know, experts on arcane symbolisms, things like that. Um, I ultimately joined a Masonic Lodge um, here in Baltimore, Maryland. That was in 1997. Um, that was Amicable St. John's Lodge Number 25, um, where, where I received the Entered Apprentice, Fellowcraft, and Master Mason degrees. Um, and it was right at the same time that I was going to law school. Um, and it was in October of 1999. I was actually still in law school when I did the um, Scottish Rite, which is a high degree, which is what you call the high degree system of Freemasonry. Um, there, there are two real popular ones in the United States, the Scottish Rite and the York Rite. Um, I chose the Scottish Rite, which is degrees 4 through 32, with the um, 33rd being honorary. You can't, you can't solicit it. But at, and at any rate, um, I graduated law school, and this, this is coincides with the early um, 2000s, where you really had the advent of the Internet really, you know, beginning to take shape. And, you know, this information was just becoming much more fluid and out in the open. Um, you know, people were able to share, you know, this material with other people just, you know, much more easily than, than they had ever been before. Um, and it wasn't until around... You know, I was still investigating this material, doing the research, kind of planning this book, book, you know, this massive compendium that I had been working on. And it wasn't until around the mid 2000s, around you know, 2005, 06, that I, um, through the through the social networking, um, through this page called MySpace, um, where I created this page, um, and I kind of you know turned it into this Masonic research center, you know, for lack of a better word, where I posted blogs put up picture galleries, you know, incorporated a lot of the research I was doing, just, you know, really just kind of to get feedback on it, you know, to see people like the research, you know, maybe they could provide leads that I wasn't aware of. Alternatively, maybe I could direct people in the right direction. Um, and the page was, was very popular. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was through that, and it's right around the same time frame, around 06, 07, that a friend of mine who was a Mason, um, he was an older person, you know, he was older than me, but um, he was a Freemason. He saw the page, and he really liked it, and he said, you know, he basically talked to me on the phone. He said, you know, this is all good and fine what you're doing here, but instead of, you know, kind of tinkering around with this, you know, instead of writing blogs, why don't you commit yourself to a book about it? Um, and, you know, kind of like the light bulb went off over my head, and um, I really started putting pen to paper. And it really wasn't until around 08, 09, 2010, that I just really committed myself to this 
and um, you know just putting the research you know down in book format um, you know and it turned into this 700 page book called the Royal Arch of Enoch um, which was released in um, August of uh, 2012 and um, it, you know, and, you know, there it is. Um, that, that's how the book, you know, that's really the 20 year journey of the book and uh, how it got published. Um, and it's called the Royal Arch of Enoch. And the, the MySpace page um, no longer exists. And just real quick, if people want to find me on the internet, it's um, www.robertwsullivaniv.com. Yeah, we'll link to uh, all that in the show notes for sure. Sure. It, sure. Sound, it sounds like you're you're fairly comfortable uh, just putting everything out there like that. I mean, would. Is there is there no conflict at all with any protocols like that in, in anything where you can just go public with uh, all that information and research? Or? Well, in, in masonry and other Masonic writers have talked about this before, um, you know, when you're talking about, like, the history of Freemasonry, um, you know, even the ritual symbolism, um, the symbols in general, the philosophies associated behind it, you know, and, you know, even some of the, you know, mystery tradition, you know, concepts that are incorporated into Freemasonry, that's really not a taboo or off, off subject matter. You know, I mean, that's, you know, you won't get in trouble for anything like that. Um, what Freemasonry frowns upon um, and especially, obviously, if you're a Freemason, is what they don't want you to divulge is what you call like the secret handshakes, the tokens, the passwords, the pass grips, um, you know, the passwords, um, things of that nature. That's the kind of stuff they really don't frown upon. Um, and I don't mention them anywhere in the Royal Arch of Enoch book. Um, what what I do um, on a couple occasions where I have to talk about you know like a password or the secret name of God and you know how Masonry interprets it, rather than writing down the name. I write down the initials. Um, so, you know, I mean, that, that's basically as close as I can get. But the, the truth be told in all of this, um, you know, I mean, you know, but I don't write it down, but, um, you know, just because I'm a Mason and, you know, I'm obliged not to. But truth be told, if anyone really wants to do a quick Google search, they'll, they'll be able to find out this material on their own, you know, in a matter of seconds um, with the Internet, basically. Yeah. Well, it must have been interesting at, at the beginning, like a few years back with MySpace, it, like, before there was a lot of this out there. Um. Yeah, the, the MySpace page was created, um, I want to say around 05 or so, and it, it was, I, I put up some blogs, um, just, you know, some, some of the blogs actually are incorporated into the book, um, and I just put up some picture galleries with, you know, relating to Masonic symbolism, um, you know, just kind of, you know, for, for lack of a better word, just to kind of get feedback, share the research that I was doing, get people's feedback, you know, you know and alternatively get feedback from them, you know, maybe there was something I hadn't seen or a book that was out there that I wasn't aware of, um, and the page got just a ton of hits on it. It, it wasn't of anything of my design, but um, the old MySpace blog and, and picture galleries had a counter on them. Um, I mean, it didn't identify who was looking at them, but it, every time it had been looked at, it would you know click up once or twice or whatever. So I mean, I knew the stuff was being heavily looked at. Um, I, I no longer had this, the page basically um, in around. I guess it was 08 or so. I guess everyone moved over to Facebook. Um, the, the Royal Arch of Enoch book does have a Facebook like page, which is linked up to my website so people can go check that out um you know i post you know and, and that page is routinely updated with information you know radio appearances such as this one just other relevant information um yeah i mean it, i just got positive feedback and um the book the book is out it's been out over a year and um the people have read it um both mason and non-mason alike um you know really seem to like it and it um the royal arch of enoch book presents this historical anomaly um and you're not going to find it anywhere else you're not going to find it on you know the history channel or A&E 
or discovery. Um, it's the only book that presents this information um, and, and its related symbolisms and philosophies contained in this high-degree ritual. And it, that is that um, this, high, this one particular high-degree ritual called the Royal Arch of Enoch is incorporating um, elements and philosophies um, and um, components of the Book of Enoch, um, which was lost to Western civilization from around two, three common era to um, the early 1770s, um, when a Freemason named James Bruce um, returned to Europe with copies from Ethiopia, um, and the copies are just deposited in the basement of the Bodleian Library at Oxford, where they remain, um, where they basically collect dust until 1821, um, when they are uh, translated into English. Yet this one particular Masonic ritual, which is being developed in France um, in the mid-1700s, around 1740, 1750, called the Royal Arch, is incorporating elements of the Book of Enoch, which should not be happening because, like I said, it was lost to Western civilization at that time, which indicates to me that someone out there had a copy of this thing, or at least a very highly detailed summary of it. Um, but at any rate, the book presents this anomaly and a lot of information related to it that you're not going to find anywhere else other than in the um, Royal Arch of Enoch book. Were you surprised at all this, all this fascinating information you were starting to dig up? Like you've been, you've been interested in. Uh, at this point, you were interested in secret societies for a while, and you know you're working your way up to you know be a Freemason, and then. Um, you must have been. It must have been a bit shocking to see how kind of uh, deep your research started to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, w w one of the first places where I saw where I saw this um, was in this book um, by a, a Freemason named Bernard Jones or B. E. Jones, um, and I want to say the book off the top of my head. And this it's close to the title. If it's not, it's, I believe it's called the Freemasons' Book of the Royal Arch. Um, and 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 right in there, right in right in the very introduction, he talks about how this Royal Arch ritual and ceremony is incorporating elements, you know, of the Book of Enoch. And then you go look up, you know, then, okay, well, let's take a look at the Book of Enoch. Well, then you realize, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we got a big problem here. You know, the, you know, I, I, got a I got a couple translations of the Book of Enoch here. These are modern translations, of course, but in all the prefaces and introductions, they'll tell you the same story, you know, that essentially from 2, 3, Common Era, or A.D., up until 1821, basically, the book is off of history, is off the history pages, yet, you know, he, here it is, this Masonic ritualist and philosopher Jones is telling me that Freemasonry is incorporating, you know, you know, is, is mentioning this. Well, how, how can this be? And then you, you start reading the Book of Enoch and you start investigating the ritual. You know, yeah, I mean, you will definitely see that the um, ritual is definitely incorporating these elements. I mean, it floored me when I first discovered it. And then it also then, you know, it, you know, it, you know, kind of shocked me that no one else had figured this out. Um, you know, that, I, you know, basically I'm sitting on this, this, this anomaly that no one else is talking about. Um, you know, so, so that really excited me. Um, and then, you know, you go even further, then you, you, you get into these concepts of the symbolisms and the philosophies related. And what I document in the book is, you know, I believe that it's this particular ritual, this higher degree ritual, and it's related, you know, philosophies, symbols, things of that nature, that's really like, you know, being used to define like the United States of America, um, you know, you know, and, and you know, it, its symbology is just being used all over the place. Um, and, you know, the book also documents that, um, you know, and again, this is, you know, information you're not going to see anywhere else. But yes, to answer your question, I mean, you know, I was very excited when I when I discovered this. And uh, I was, you know, really pleased when the book was finally um, published, you know, presenting this material for everyone else to uh, now read and find out about. And, and now that it's out there, 
are you still, um, is there a lot of stuff you would like to include in another book or is it, does it keep going? Does your research kind of keep getting, going deeper and deeper? Or? Yes, yes, it does. Um, it's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, um, what, what it, it, I'm going to answer it. Two, it's a twofold question. I'm going to answer it both ways. Um, the, the number one is um, if you if you have or you or alternatively you haven't read the Royal Arch of Enoch, the final chapter of the book. There's 15 chapters. This doesn't count the conclusion or introduction. The last chapter of the book is called "So Dark the Kind of Man." And that is a line from both the Da Vinci Code movie and um, book. And the final chapter documents uh, Masonic, you know, what I call Enochian, you know, kind of solar symbolism in popular movies. I want to say off the top of my head, I, I, I do like sort of an occult analysis of around five or six movies. I know I do the Being There movie with Peter Sellers and Shirley MacLaine, um, the two National Treasure movies. The, um, the the Da Vinci Code movie and the other one that he did, the, the Angels and Demons film, the Johnny Depp movie called The Ninth Gate. I, I want to say there's another movie in there, but it's escaping me. But while I was writing that chapter, um, there were other movies that I wanted to talk about that I knew had these esoteric themes in them. They weren't necessarily Masonic per se, but you know, definitely themes related to you know what you would want to call the Jungian collective unconscious, tarot card symbolism, Gnosticism, mysticism, you know, solar, you know, astral symbology. But it just didn't fit in the Royal Arch of Enoch. So on that note, I I, I, I started writing another book, and this book's titled Cinema Symbolism: A Guide to Esoteric um, Imagery in Popular Movies, which I have just completed. And um, as I sit here talking to you on October 8th, um, the the book is done. And I'm actually emailing it to my publisher tomorrow morning um, to begin the um, you know e- you know editing and uh, getting this book released. So I'm real excited about that. So you know that, the Royal Arch book, uh, book, you know Enoch book continues on there. Um, and then also there was material in the Royal Arch of Enoch book that was Masonic that um, it, I, I had in there originally, but I kind of pulled it out. Because um, it slowed the book down tremendously. It was, I mean, the book right now is it is at 700 pages. So I mean, you know, this would have tagged on, you know, substantially more. So I pulled this material out for another book on Freemasonry. But the truth be told, that's probably you know two years away at the earliest. Hmm. So you must have. I'm assuming you've been over the the actual book of Enoch translations quite a bit. Oh yeah, I have uh, a couple translations of um, one Enoch, two Enoch, and three Enoch here. Um, I mean, these aren't you know antique copies; these are modern translations of it. Um, but yeah, I, I have. I mean, I incorporate. I mean, I talk about the book. Um, you know, in the Royal Arch of Enoch book, there's a whole chapter on the Book of Enoch, what it talks about. You know, and of course, you know, ultimately, I tie that into Masonic ritual. You know, and its related symbolisms and philosophies. Did you find any of the uh, aliens von Daniken talks about in the in the book? No. Um, well, I'm familiar with this. Um, I'm familiar with this theory, um, and the theory is I'll just explain it to your listeners, um, just just to so you know, in the Book of Enoch, um, what comes out of the Book of Genesis originally. Well, I mean, the Book of Enoch predates. Well, depends on who you want to believe, but in Genesis, um, basically Enoch is described as one of two people that never dies a physical death. He's carted off into the heavens. Um, you know, and hangs out with these archangels and these fallen angels known as the Watchers. Um, and the Book of Enoch describes what he sees, you know, in corporeal form visiting this afterlife. Um, you know, the, the Eric, you know, the, you know, Von Daniken theory is that 
the angels are really extraterrestrials and that Enoch is being carted off in a spaceship. Um, you know, and that's certainly a very, you know, very possible and valid explanation. Um, what, I, I don't really go into the sort of ancient astronaut theory. I'm, I mean, I'm very aware of it. But what the book really does is, um, what my book really does is, what, what more interested me was the idea of what Enoch sees and how it relates to, you know, you know, concepts of Masonic ritual and, you know, it's related philosophies coming out of this, you know, this royal arch of, you know, Enoch higher degree ritual. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you know, is, is Enoch, um, you know, sort of this character, you know, and are the archangels really the extraterrestrials, you know, and is the things that he's being shown really the sort of secrets of, you know, not really the afterlife, but of extraterrestrial life, the true origins. I mean, it's a very valid theory, um, you know, and uh, I'm aware of it. But um, my book really goes more into the um, philosophical doctrines of the Book of Enoch rather than the um, extraterrestrial. So I, sorry, I just had to sneak that one in there. Um, oh no, it's a it's a fair question, and and I'll just I'm just going to diverge for a minute. Um, extraterrestrial life, not UFOs per se. I've been asked this before, and I'll just bring it up here real quick. Extraterrestrial life is actually filters into Freemasonry in an interesting way. Um, in a Masonic um, monitor by a Masonic ritualist named Thomas Smith Webb, um, he he is one of um, DeWitt Clinton's sort of you know buddy buddies. Um, Webb and DeWitt Clinton are basically the two people behind this other high degree system in America called the York Right. But at any rate, in Webb's, um, in Webb's monitor, he talks about, in, in Masonry, in Freemasonry, um, it, it's basically deism. In order to join, you have to believe in a supreme being. Um, in Masonry, this is called the great architect of the universe. And in this um, Masonic treatise that Webb writes, he says that, you know, out there, if you look up into the stars, and I'm paraphrasing here, by the way, he said there are a plurality of worlds up there. And, you know, all this life, you know, on all these planets is under the guide and protection of the great architect of the universe. So even Webb is suggesting that, you know, there's extraterrestrial life out there. And um, Webb is most likely getting it from this uh, Dominican friar named Giordano Bruno, who in his writings also talks about a plurality or infinity of worlds, you know, out there that these stars that you look out up at the nighttime sky are actually suns, you know, you know, that have their own, you know, systems with planets rotating around them, you know, and, and you know, it's likely that these planets have life. So um, the concept of extraterrestrial life does filter into um, Freemasonry. So, so the belief in a supreme being, which you should have as a Freemason, could be an extraterrestrial entity or race. They don't. They, I, I wouldn't quite. That's kind of what a little more of an extreme take on it. <laughs> um, you know, definitely. Um, the, the, the requirement, the, the requirement, to, well, not the only requirement, one of the main requirements to be a Freemason is you have to believe in what's called a supreme being. Um, there's really no religious requirement. For example, I mean, you can be Christian, you can be, you know, Jewish, you could be Hindu or Muslim. As long as you believe in a supreme being, kind of masonry leaves it to the individual person as to what path they want to choose to get to this entity. If your path is Christianity, then you should stick with it. If your path is Buddhism, then you should stick with it. As long as you believe in the sort of supreme being, you know, God, great architect figure, you're good to go. It's deism is, 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 really, is really the best way to describe it. I mean, in a nutshell, you know, I mean, they don't want atheists, you know, if you're an atheist, you can't join. Right. And, you know, and, and you know, agnosticism is sort of frowned upon also, um, you know, which is you're not sure, basically. As long as you believe in a supreme being, um, you're good to go. So what about a higher power, like 
like uh, the universal energy or a little bit more new agey kind of stuff, the law well, of attraction or... Right. I mean, basically, it's sort of, you know, as long as you believe in a supreme being, um, you know, you know, you're good, you know, you're okay. You know, what your own personal beliefs are beyond that, um, you know, they kind of don't, you know, investigate or really inquire into. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's up to you. Um, You know, but as long as, like I said, there's a belief in a God, creator, supreme being, great architect figure, um, you know, you know, you know, you're fine. Um, there, there was this controversy going on. I call wind of it via Facebook, and I'm not an expert on this, but apparently, and you know, I don't want to put anybody down or anything, but I read <laughs> online. So, no, I had read online somewhere, or someone emailed me or something that apparently the Grand Lodge of Florida, they were putting down, they weren't putting down, but they were frowning upon masons who were joining who were sort of in a neo-paganism things of that nature and what this was stemming from i think was a reaction to a poll that was taken i want to say around 2010 2011 where you were definitely seeing this tide shift um in freemasonry where um and and you can't tell me that the internet doesn't have anything to do with this where like for example when i joined the masonic lodge here in baltimore in 1996 and even you know or i petitioned in 96 i joined in 97 um you know you know the, the motivating factor for most masons was it was either like community work or like a family tradition and that that's really what it was for me a family tradition uh, numerous grandfathers and great grandfathers in my family have been freemasons some of them have even past masters which are masons who have ruled the um lodge for a year uh, that's what's called the worshipful master they do it for a year then once their terms over with they're called past masters but at any rate, they did this poll, I want to say, around 2010. I want to say the Scottish Rite Southern Jurisdiction did it. And they, said, and they were polling men as to why they were joining a Masonic Lodge. And up until then, the typical answers, or the majority of the answers were given, was what I just said, charity work or family, you know, family mm-hmm. tradition. But in, in, in this time frame, around 10 or 11, um, the answers that were coming back, the majority was because of the occult you know, and esoteric you know, traditions and symbols of Freemasonry. I think that kind of sent a shockwave through Freemasonry wow. that... You know, you know that yeah. You know now was being viewed sort of. You know the, the the pendulum was going back to sort of the mystery tradition. You know the occult fraternity that you know kind of Freemasonry started out being. Um, and of course, like I was just saying, in, in Florida there seemed to be this knee-jerk reaction to it, where you know, and I don't know the outcome of it, so I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth or accuse the Florida Grand Lodge of anything. But I know at one point in time. Uh, at least a year or two ago, they they were frowning on you know like new age paganism and things of that nature. It'd be interesting to know when that pendulum started swinging. Like it, oh. it just because the survey came out recently, this could be happening for like twenty or thirty years. No, I can I can tell you what happened. Um, what happened was, and and I, this is you can document this is Freemasonry as an organization. Um, you know, as a modern day organization. Now, if you want to trace it back to Egypt, I mean, you know, that's, you, it can be done. You know, you kind of get into more of legends and, and you know, mythology, you know, and you're kind of speculating. But Freemasonry as it exists today was founded in 1717 um, in England. Um, in a nutshell, and I'm fast forwarding a lot of history here, you know, even in, in the American tradition after the revolution, you know, I mean, Freemasonry was definitely sort of viewed as this mystical, arcane mystery school. Um, you know, it had elements of the, you know, the ancient mysteries. But what happened was in America, in the mid-1820s, you had this thing that happened in New York um, called the William Morgan Affair, where 
I want to say it's around 1824, 1825, it may be 1826, it may be 1820s, this publisher named William Morgan, he was either a Mason or he was either lying about it or he was just holding himself out to be a Mason. But at any rate, he, pu- he, he was threatening to publish all the rituals, all the passwords, all the pass grips, um, you know, and, and, and the signs and things of that nature. And um, this, this was in New York, um, in Bavathia, New York. And um, at any rate, he was kidnapped by a coterie of Freemasons. Um, and as the story goes, he was taken across the Canada line um, where, he was, where he disappeared, um, most likely killed. Um, and, you know, he, 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 you know the, the, the people were ultimately tried, of course. You know, the, the judge was a Mason. The jury were Masons. The governor of New York at the time was a Freemason named DeWitt Clinton. He got involved. Um, and there was this massive backlash <clears throat> against Freemasonry where, um, you know, instead of it being viewed as a patriotic order that kind of revolutionized, you know, the, the founding for, you know, the founding fathers were behind the American Revolution. Instead of it being viewed as this patriotic organization, it was now viewed as this sort of clandestine, occultish, you know, black magic circle. And you know, Freemasonry took a massive hit out of it. I mean, a lot of Grand Lodges closed. I want to say the State Grand Lodge of Vermont closed. Um, just shut down completely. I want to say in in Maryland, where I am, about 50% of Masonic lodges were just wiped off the map. So masonry, in order to survive this, went to just being this fraternal order that does charity work, and it completely distanced itself from the concept of the esoteric, the mystery school tradition, you know, the arcana, the the mystical symbols. It was just, no, all we are is a fraternal order that does charity work, and we do some rituals based on biblical tales. Wow. And it was, and it was that mindset that has basically survived up until modern times, and I believe, and like I said, this was the mindset not even that long ago. I mean, this was the mindset of, you know, 1996, 97, when I, even I joined. And I am telling you, you could, the pendulum is swinging because of things like Da Vinci Code, National Treasure, and the Internet. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That kind of leads me to another question that that uh, I'm not even too sure how to ask it here, but it's uh, it's kind of about the, the belief system of the Freemasons and the oxymoron between the fact that people think that secret societies and Freemasons and all this esoteric people are running the world in some clandestine way. And yet, yet we're still, we still have such a huge influence from uh, materialists and, and the, and the skeptical scientific community. Like there seems to be this weird, how can they be running everything if, if we're still so ingrained in this materialistic dogmatic kind of world? Right. I think I understand the question, or I think I understand what you're hinting at. What what I would say is is, you know, when it comes to Freemasonry, I mean, you know, you know, you you definitely have, especially in in it's 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 what what's happening is, and especially this is true in the early days of the Republic in the United States was, and I'll do my best to try to explain it. But what what you have happening is is masonry, Freemasonry in the United States, and, and it exists this way today, is th- there is no Grand Lodge of the United States of America. It doesn't exist. Each state, each individual state has its own Grand Lodge. So I'm in Baltimore, so there's a Grand Lodge of Maryland. There's a Grand Lodge of New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Virginia, so on and so forth. The Grand Lodge of each state cannot bark orders or issue dictates to another Grand Lodge and vice versa. Um, and what happens is, 
the, the higher degree system, yeah, and let me just backpedal real quick, the, 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 the Grand Lodges monitor and administer what are called the Blue Lodges. These are the, the what you call you know the Blue Lodge of Freemasonry. This is what you have to join to become a Freemason. This is degrees one, two, and three, which are called Entered Apprentice, Fellow Craft, Master Mason. The Grand Lodges administer them. If, if a local Masonic Lodge has a question about a ritual or what to do, they send you know a letter off or today an email off to the Grand Master or the you know the Grand Lodge, and they'll get back to you and they'll tell you what to do. Um, and it's because of this that there that in America there is no United States Grand Lodge. Where if you go if you go look at another secret society called the Odd Fellows, they do have they did I don't know if it still exists, but they did have a Grand Lodge of the United States. It was founded here in Baltimore. But in masonry, there is no United States Grand Lodge. So what happens is the higher degree system in the early days of the Republic it serves as a vehicle for masons to interact with other masons over state lines. Away from you know, away from the auspices of the Grand Lodge. That's what the higher degree system you know allowed them to do, where you could influence and shape policy by talking and interacting with other higher degree Masons away from the Blue Lodge. And this gives rise, and probably to be honest with you, correctly so, to the concept of you know you know the sort of secret you know cabal within Freemasonry who is forming you know political culture. In, in America and, and, and in the early days of the Republic, it's probably true. I mean, the, the, the guy who is really behind this, and I, I, I have a whole chapter of it in the Royal Archivina book, pe- people in this country are familiar with the founding fathers' names, you know, the Benjamin Franklins of the world, the George Washingtons of the world, you know, even to a lesser extent, the Daniel Carrolls of the world, um, you know, a lot of the signers, you know, in the, both the Constitution and Declaration were Masons. But the real guy who is the driving force behind this is someone I mentioned earlier. He's a former mayor of New York. He's a former governor of New York of the state of New York called the Whit Clinton. He is really behind one of the premier motivating factors behind that development of a higher degree system in the United States. And and it's really him who is the driving force behind this concept of Masons working together over state lines, you know, to formulate political policy. I mean, you will even see, and I mean, you know, I'm one of the few Masons that will tell you this, you will even see traces of what's called Bavarian Illuminism in this, you know, coming out of Germany, you know, of this this concept of using Masonry to perfect society um, one way or another. Um, And, you know, I definitely see elements of that in there. Um, What I say in the book um, is you will see that these guys are using masonry to basically nation build. And you'll see it in the construct of the United States. You'll see it in the Declaration of Independence. You'll see it in the Constitution. And you, I have a whole chapter on this. You will see it in the architecture of the Federal District, Washington, D.C., which, you know, I describe in the book as the city of the sun. Um, but, you know, it's really DeWitt Clinton who, who is the motivating factor behind this. Now, I say in the book that after the William Morgan affair, this really does this sort of philosophical, you know, um, you know higher degree system in where, you know, people are now much more skeptical of, on this. But people are viewing now after Morgan, at, you know, instead of viewing Masonry as this patriotic organization, they're viewing it as more this conspiratorial organization. And it's really this belief that 
to be honest with you, is just still with us today, where people believe that you know it's it's you know you know behind you know you know controlling government. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of presidents have been masons, a lot of congressmen, Supreme Court justices. So I mean, you know, there are elements you know of people who are masons working together. I mean, that's no state secret or anything. No. Um, you know, so I mean, you know, you definitely have. I mean, you definitely clearly have a masonic influence. You know, in this country, whether a person wants to believe it's good or bad, you know, that's kind of up for the individual person to decide. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking more, not so much government, but like institutions and the scientific community, like, uh, you know, even the educational system or something. Like I can picture, uh, or not picture it, but I wonder if there's like 33rd degree Masons out there that are, um, you know, they, they believe in a in a uh, supreme being in, in the Masonic temple, and yet they're in in society, they're a skeptical atheist, uh, materialistic scientist, you know, or or is it the scientist who who's a Mason pretending to believe in uh, a supreme being? Hello. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing where, you know, I mean, you're you know you have to believe in a supreme being. Um, so, you know, if, I mean, if, if you're a scientist and you're an atheist, you're probably not going to be a Freemason. Um, but you get into, you know, I'm just going to hint on this real quickly. It's a long story, but you get into, you, you mentioned um, the educational system. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, I've got a whole thing on it in the book. But in, in a nutshell, you get into concepts of um, um, Union College of Schenectady, New York, um, which was really the first um, a college set up after the revolution um, to offer degrees in operative masonry, which is, you know, stone cutting, which is, you know, engin- civil engineering, basically. Um, and it's a long, long story, and I'm just not going to have time to go fully into it, but mm-hmm. the, the, temp- the template of Union College is connected to New York is a Masonic symbol. It's a... Um, it's a vaulted quadrangle with a domed building coming out of it, representing the sun coming out of the vault of Enoch, which, if you know Masonic Enochian lore, it's, it's, it's in this high-degree ritual where you have the restoration of the seven liberal arts and sciences and mathematics. So you definitely will have a, you know educational system in the United States. And, of course, the concept of a quadrangle is a staple amongst um, you know, universities and colleges architecturally throughout this college, and that's really coming out of um, Union College, just connected to New York. Um, and and one of the people, um, one of the main people who rips off the, the the guy, the architect behind the template of Union College is a guy named J.J. Vermee. Um, he's a French architect working in Masonic circles, you know, of the Whit Clinton, of Thomas Smith Webb, um, and his template for um, Union College is borrowed. Um, substantially by the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. And if you look at the template of his University of Virginia, it's the exact same thing. It's the domed building coming out of the vaulted quadrangle, which is symbolically trying to, it's representing the sun coming out of the vault of Enoch and the sun being the bearer of light or enlightenment and the restoration of the seven liberal arts and sciences and mathematics.
So I was just asking, um, you joined the Masons in, what was it, 96 or 97? Yes. So so you, it actually only took you a couple of years to rise to 32nd degree. Yes, that's correct. I joined, I, I petitioned the Blue Lodge um, in the summer. Let me think here. I, I petitioned the Blue Lodge. This would have been amicable St. John's Lodge number 25. I petitioned them in the fall of 96. And I received the entered apprentice degree in January of '97, the fellow craft in May of '97, and the master mason degree in September of '97. And I joined the Scottish Rite in. I became a 32nd in the Scottish Rite um, here in Baltimore. That would have been in, I want to say October, late October of 1999 was when I when I got the 32nd. So you can actually, I was, I always thought that would be something that would take, you know, like a lifetime to get, to get through. I no, was... it, it, it usually, they do a lot of the, 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 the difference between the difference between Scottish Rite and Blue Lodge. What well, one of the differences is the, the Blue Lodge rituals are participatory, meaning you have to, you are involved in the ritual. Um, for example, when you go into the lodge, you have to put on this, you know, sort of like semi-pajama outfit. You're blindfolded. You're led around the lodge. You participate in the ritual. I mean, you swear, you swear, you know, an oath on the Bible. Um, and, I mean, you're participating. The Scottish Rite, by and large, is you're sitting in an amphitheater, basically watching a bunch of morality plays on stage. It's it's not participatory, by and large. There's a little bit of it that is, but by and large, you just sit you just sit in like an amphitheater and just watch stage plays dealing with biblical stories, things like the building of the second temple of Babel or the second temple of Zerubbabel, things of that nature. I wanted to uh, switch gears for a sec here. I've got a hey, wait though. Let me okay, go ahead. So, so basically, you've you, where you are now. All, all you can do is sort of sit around and wait for them to kind of, I guess, hand pluck you for thirty third, and, and then there's nowhere to go from there. There's just nowhere that we know about to go from there. Right, right. The thirty, the thirty-third is the final degree of the Scottish Rite. Um, it's completely honorary. You can't solicit it. Um, you know, it, it's usually given to people by and large. You know, people who are you know what you would call you know philanthropists or you know in, in society people who do charity work. Celebrities. Astronauts. Yes, astronauts, celebrities, politicians, podcasters. Um, yeah, broadcasters. No. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you you know, um, I mean, you got some, uh, you know, uh, I want to say uh, J. Edgar Hoover, I think, got the 33rd degree, the former FBI chief. Wow. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of some others. Um, Harry Truman, the, the former president, yeah, he, was a 30, yeah, I, yeah, he was a 33rd. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, both 33rds? Um, Armstrong was not a Mason. Uh, Arm, Neil Armstrong was not a Mason. Buzz Aldrin is, but I could not tell you if he is a 33rd, but I want to say most certainly he is definitely a 32nd. I'd give him a 33rd. <laughs> he probably is. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I'd have to look that up, but that would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. How many are we talking uh, in the world here, 33rd? Do you oh, think? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't like, tell you. Are, we, talk, are we talking thousands, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, probably thousands. That yeah. probably sounds about right. Yeah. So, do you think there's? Do you think is there a chance? I guess that there could be higher, more secretive degrees. Like you know, like in my experience, Masons are in in general a real good organization for people. You know, it's like there's camaraderie, and you hear stories of how Masons take care of other Masons' families if if something happens. 
But, you know, they always have this kind of, they always have had this kind of weird, sinister look to them in some ways. And do you think, is there possible there's there's secret levels, I suppose, where, where there's things going on like, like control and, and things like that? I guess anything's possible, but I've never seen it or, or been exposed to it. I mean, so I, I don't think there's anything above the 33rd degree. There, there, used, there used to be, um, well, I mean, also you have the York Wright. That's another high-degree system. Um, so, I mean, you know, you can always do, you know, those those, those rights as well, um, you know, if you wanted to. Um, you know, and let me just point that out also, because um, uh, there, there seems to be a little confusion right now on this on the internet. Um, the, the Scottish right and the York right are the two premier high degree systems in the United States, but they are not mutually exclusive. You can do the Scottish right and do the York right if you want to. Um, you can do both of them. You could do neither of them if you want to. I, I, I know Masons who have chosen to do neither. The, the general consensus is the Scottish right is probably a little more popular, and this is not meant to sound negative or any way, shape, or form, but the reason I think that a lot of people, or more people, I should say, go into Scottish right rather than York right is because, and again, I'm not saying this to be negative in any way, shape, or form, it's because the York right ends, the ceremonial, of uh, the, the ending ceremony of the York right is the Knights Templar. Um, and this is a this is the Knights Templar of the Wit Clinton. Now they borrow all the symbols and signs, you know, the white tunics with the red cross of St. George from the medieval Knights Templars. But it's a modern organization, at least in America, dating from the early 1800s. But at any rate, to to join that to join that order, you have to pre pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. You have to um, have a Christian confession. So if you're not a Christian. You're probably not going to want to join it. Hmm. So, so, so a lot of people probably tend to go into um, Scottish. You know, if you're Jewish or Deist or Muslim or you know whatever, you you probably tend to you know tilt towards the Scottish right. To, to get back to your original question about is there anything beyond the 33rd degree? Well, there used to be. Um, they're, they're totally defunct now. There was these rights called Memphis Miserium, which I, I cannot remember the numbers, but it was apparently. It's what's called Egyptian masonry, um, and I, I want to say, and, and um, I, I'd have to go look this up to be more specific, but just off the top of my head, I want to say this was degrees 34 through 180, um, and it, wow. it, it, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it had its heyday, I want to say, around the French Revolution, early early 19th century, but um, right now it's totally defunct. Um, and it doesn't exist. Um, I, I know, you know, people might email you saying, oh, look at this web page, here it is. That's, that's just not real. I mean, that's just, you know, someone putting that up just to irk people. Um, the rights of Memphis Miserium are completely defunct um, and no longer exist in any shape or form. So I have a question from um, a friend of mine, Becca. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's she's more into this uh, occult stuff than I thought, but she was asking about women in secret societies, and it's something I've never uh, really heard heard being talked about on any of these shows. But but w women in secret societies, and and why has it been sort of tradition in the past? Do you think um, for them not to really be uh, I don't know included? I guess. Well, well, mason masonry. It's a good. It's a very good question. I, I'll definitely answer it for you. Masonry, um, Freemasonry itself, does not admit women. Um, now that being said, there are a lot of Masonic orders for women. Um, the premier one is called the Eastern Star or the Sisterhood of the Eastern Star. That is a Masonic 
um, woman's order. I know that the Odd Fellows have a Masonic or an Odd Fellow woman's order. That's called the Rebecca's. Um, there's another um, female secret society. This one's a little more or less known, called the um, Sister, the Pythian Sisterhood, um, or, or the, the Sisterhood of Pythias. Um, and, and the the origins of that are the the the, the Pythian sisters were the original call, original oracles of Delphi. Um, these were the women who would you know breathe the fumes you know at the temple of Delphi you know and prophesize and go into a frenzy. That's a, a, a secret society for women. Um, what I what I have to point out here though is and a lot of Masonic authors have talked about this before. The, the main one that comes to mind is um, a Masonic um, who, a Masonic author um, ritualist. Um, he was his name is Albert Mackey. He was a thirty third. Um, uh, he, he he says in, in numerous of his writings, he said that the women or the women Masonic organizations, yes, they're for women and yes, they're Masonic. But if you're a woman and you join, you can't hold yourself out as a Freemason. Um, you're basically a sister of the Eastern Star, and he says it's, it's erroneous for a woman to to go through a ritual um, in one of these organizations and think she's a female Freemason. Um, that is not the case, and I'm not bumping on on these orders or anything like that. But there really are no female Freemasons. Um, it's 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 all man it's all male, but there are female auxiliary bodies um, that you know will welcome women into them. Um, uh, the, the 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 Scottish Rite has one, I believe it's called the daughter the the wives of the Scottish Rite. I want to say is a woman's one, and then the um, the other one that just came into my head, it's the um, the Shriners. Um, the, the, that that's another order. Um, it, it's 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 an order that you had. To, it's changed recently. In order to join it, you had to be either a 32nd in the Scottish Rite or a member of the York Rite. Um, I can't remember the degree you have to be in the York Rite. It might have been in my Templar, but I can't remember. But at any rate, that was another order you could go into. I, I, I believe they sub, subsequently have dropped the Scottish Rite and York Rite requirements. But at any rate, they've got a woman's organization, I want to say, called the Daughters of the Nile, which is another, you know, female appendix, you know, body, you know, Masonic body for women in a nutshell. Hmm. Have you ever heard of the International Order of Co-Freemasons in London? Apparently it's this, a newish one for women. Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very, very familiar with co-Freemasonry. Um, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, androgynous Freemasonry. That's basically masonry that allows uh -huh. men, and, yeah, men and women. I mean, I know in Europe it's very popular. Um, it's sort of, it, I wouldn't say it's frowned upon that in the United States. It's just, it's not recognized. It's not rec. If, if, if it's a Masonic order. Um, and, and, and it's really, really what it comes down to, for lack of a better word. You, if you're going to join a Masonic order, you want to make sure that the lodge you're joining, if you're just joining a blue lodge, you want to make sure it's recognized as a Masonic body by that state grand lodge. That, that, that's really where this, that's really where the conversation starts and ends. If, if the, if it's, if it's not really recognized, I mean, certainly you can join it, and I'm not putting it down. It's just you're not going to really be, you know, recognized. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's, it's like a clandestine body, um, you know. So if, you, if you're if you're interested in joining a Masonic lodge, or or if you're a woman and you're interested in joining the Eastern Star, for for example, you know, just just make sure the organization you're you're, you're joining is recognized by by the state grand lodge, um, you know, and you're and you're good to go. Yeah, that's a good I'm point. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess I have another sort of big picture question, and I'll be speaking in generalizations, of course. So so keep that in mind, but. 
you know, like you can look at the world right now and I, I try and be positive and there's a lot of good things going on, but there's also, it's also hard not to get drugged down into the, uh, dragged down into the, you know, the, the negative stuff, like the climate gate and the drug war and big pharma. And, you know, like I'm in, I'm in fascinated by the UFO mystery. And so what, what, uh, what do the Masons think about all this? Like, are they propagating some of this, the, this, you know, secret society. What do you think they think is going on in the world right now? Well, it's really, it's, it's really. That's a question for. I mean, uh, you know, M- Masonry, like you know, in Freemasonry, there's really no leader of Freemasonry or, or anything like that. It does, you know. I mean, now you have a person who's a worshipful master, um, but Masonry, in, in a nutshell, as a group, doesn't put forward, a, you know, per se, a political agenda. Or, or 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 anything like that. In fact, um, you know, I mean, I know, you know, it's a bit of a contradiction. But you know, we talked about you know a lot of presidents being Freemasons. You know, some are Democrats, some are Republicans, of course. But actually, in a Masonic lodge, um, the two topics that are forbidden to talk about are politics and religion. Um, that's actually off off limits um, in discussion in a Masonic lodge. Now, of course, you know. It's a bit of a contradiction, I'll be the first to admit, because obviously Freemasonry, um, you know, has had an influence in the political arena, um, you know, in this country. I mean, to say otherwise is just really naive. But, I mean, as far as some of the things you're talking about, you know, I mean, I I, I really wouldn't say that Freemasonry as as a body... Freemasonry as an organization doesn't really issue statements or opinions or political dictums as to what you know it you know it has you know what it thinks about certain things or political movements or issues in the world. It's really up for each individual Mason to decide what they want to believe, what political candidate they want to support. Um, there is no universal leader of Freemasonry. Um, like I said earlier, you know. Each 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 state grand lodge is beholden to itself. So you know the, the state lodge, the state grand lodge of like New York, can't issue any sort of dictates or philosophy or recommend anything to the state grand lodge of Maryland or Virginia or anything like that. So I mean, masonry as a whole doesn't really put out political opinions, you know, or or or, or thoughts of anything like that. Now each mason can decide what they want to believe in and what they want to do. But like I mean, for example, I mean, I, I get. I mean, right off the top of my head, I get three Masonic magazines here. I get the Scottish Rite Journal. I get uh, and I get two two regarding um, Maryland Freemasonry. I mean, and the articles are just about you know you know Masonic happenings in the state, charity drives. You know, some articles on on Masonry. Um, you know, or, or you know the history of Masonry, and sometimes they'll delve into the mystical side of things. Maybe you get a little thing on Kabbalah or something like that. But by and large, you will never see anything written about religion. You know, or, or what religion to believe in, or what political party to join. That's kind of a no-no within Masonry. Well, what about capitalism, though, and and corporatism and all that? Well, again, I mean, you know, that's just, you know, a personal belief of, of the individual Mason. You know, they don't, you know, there's there's no there's no political. I mean, I mean, I know, you know, within Masonry, you have a lot of people who have joined political parties going on to be U.S. senators, congressmen. So, I mean, there's obviously a political influence, but it's really the individual Mason to decide whether he wants to be a, you know, a, a Democrat or Republican, you know, or an independent or, or whatever. Um, masonry as a body doesn't really sort of issue you know, any sort of stance 
um, you know, one way or another on, on a political, you know, leaning left, right, or whatever. Um, I mean, as far as capitalism is concerned, you know, you know, most most well, not most, all Masonic lodges are patriotic. They embrace the government of the United States. I know a lot of the Masonic lodges I go to, or you know, or my Masonic lodge when I go up there. A lot of times the lodge will open with the pledge of allegiance to the flag, things of that nature. So it's definitely a patriotic order promoting, you know, you know, you know, belief, you know, and, and support in the United States of America. So um, we're, before we uh, run out of time here, I wanted to delve into a little bit of symbolism with you and uh, some of the more more prolific things. Like, I guess you're, the, these things go back to ancient Egypt and maybe even even before that. Yeah, um, I, well, what, what, what I talk about in the Royal Arch of Enoch book is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, it, it's a very broad subject matter, um, you know, where you get into some of the symbolisms, um, the ritual iconography, um, you know, you definitely have, it, it, it definitely incorporates a lot of Egyptian, but, you know, you also have themes of Zoroastrianism going on, which is the religion of ancient Persia. You definitely have initiation rites um, coming out of things like the, the Mithraic mysteries or the rites of Mithras, um, the Aleutian mysteries. That's another one. Um, in, in a nutshell, I'm just going to condense here. I'm going I'm to, you know, go real quickly here. But like in, 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 in the Blue Lodge degree, and I say this in the book, um, you know, you know, the third degree ritual, which is the Hiram Abith legend, which is where the candidate portrays Hiram Abith, who is this master architect building King Solomon's temple. The ritual documents his assassination by three fellow crafts. Um, he's ultimately resurrected. And I say in the book, um, you know, I have a whole chapter on it. This is really paralleling the Egyptian mysteries of Osiris, Horus, and Isis, where, you know, Hiram Abith is, you know, represents this Osirian type of character who is killed. He's resurrected. Um, you have solar symbology all, all over the place. Of course, you know, Osiris was an Egyptian sun god. Um, you have the concept of the dying and resurrected sun man, you know, where you, or, you know, you're, you know, symbolically experiencing, you know, gnosis, you know, which is Gnosticism. Um, you know, that comes straight out of Gnosticism. Um, you have solar iconography surrounding Hiram Abith, where when he's killed, his body's buried west of the temple. That represents the dying or setting sun. Um, King Solomon dispatches 12 fellow crafts to go look for him. These represent the 12 houses of the Zodiac who are going looking for their lost solar ruler. And, of course, when Hiram Abith is finally resurrected, he is resurrected by what's called the strong grip of the lion's paw. And the lion's paw is an esoteric reference to the constellation of Leo the lion, which is the soul house of the sun. Um, and, you know, you have this whole concept of, um, he, you know, being resurrected on what's called the five points of fellowship. And the five points, of course, form a pentagram. And if you read Masonic ritualists and philosophers like um, <clears throat> Albert Pike, um, he'll tell you that the you know that the five points represent the blazing star, which is Sirius, and this in the Egyptian stellar pantheon, which of course was of course Osiris's wife Isis, and and the nexus you're looking for there is um, 
Here, Mabith is killed because he possesses the secret name of God, which is called the Tetragrammaton, which um, these other three fellow crafts who finally kill him are trying to get from him. Um, and in the Egyptian mysteries, Isis also possessed a similar word. Um, she possessed the secret name of amun Re or Ra, which is really the premier sun god of Egypt. Um, so when you form the five points of fellow, of fellow craft, you're forming a symbolic pentagram. Um, and it's during this formation that you, so you, you transmit what's called the substitute word of a master mason. And this is symbolically paying homage to, um, to Isis, who possessed the real name of God, um, you know, or Amun Re or Ra, the secret name. What that secret name is, we don't know. But if you, if you get into the deeper symbology of this, and this is why the Royal Arch of Enoch ritual is so important, is we were just saying that in the Blue Lodge, the, the word, the true name of God that Hiramabeth possessed is lost when he's killed. And when, when he's resurrected, you have a substitute name, a substitute name of God um, whispered in your ear. However, if you forward, fast forward to the higher degree system, when you go to the Royal Arch, that's where the real name of God is symbolically recovered. The Hiramabeth, you know, word is found, and it's the recovery of the lost word of a master mason. And, and that's why that ritual is so penultimately important within freemasonry so um have you are you familiar from the sorry are you familiar at all with the work of dr john ward and the Sirius project and some of uh, their take and look into a lot of this uh, ancient egyptian symbology symbology and where it's found in the world today um, I, I'm a little bit familiar with it, um, but uh, not. Really, I would not hold myself out as an expert on it or anything like that. But um, you know, within I, I could answer it from a Masonic point of view. Um, but I mean, you know, you will definitely, and I mean, you know, you will definitely see um, references to the Egyptian dog star in places like Washington D.C., um, which I document in the book. Um, and I'm sure that you will find other references to it um, in other places around the world. Of that, I have little doubt. Yeah, I think some of those ones led back to he found him even. What was that little town in in England he found him in? Oh yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in addition to some of these monuments and stuff in Washington, we're, we're also seeing it a lot in movies today, and uh, for the last even for the last few decades as well. I I, assume, I guess, eh? Yeah, um, this is what I, I uh, this is the final chapter of the um, Royal Arch of Enoch book, and it's a good segue into my second book, which we can talk about for a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, the the Royal Arch of Enoch book, the final chapter talks about some Masonic. Um, symbolisms in movies, some solar symbolisms, um, like for example, um, the one that just jumps off the top of my head is the National Treasure movie, the first one with Nicolas Cage. The second one has a lot of stuff in it too, but the, the first National Treasure movie um, is really the Royal Arch ceremonial. I mean, that's what you're really seeing. It's the recovery of um, the secret treasure vault beneath the holy ground, which is what the royal arch of Rich, the, which is what the royal arch of ritual documents, the royal arch of Enoch ritual documents. The ritual, in a nutshell, is they're, they're, the, the, the Hebrews are returning to the Holy Land to build the second temple of Zerubbabel. And while they're building it, they spring this underground, the secret trap door, which leads to this secret underground vault, 
where you know the treasure of Freemasonry is is recovered. One of the things they find is this lost word of the Master Mason, the lost word of Hiram Abiff. Well, the National Treasure movie is the same thing, where these guys are fo- you know following these Masonic clues that ultimately leads them to the Holy Ground, um, which is Trinity College in New York, um, where underneath the Holy Ground is the secret treasure vault. So the, the National Treasure movie is just another telling of the Royal Arch of Enoch ceremonial. Um, I get into movies like, although it's not necessarily Masonic per se, it is a little bit, um, the movie with Johnny Depp, The Ninth Gate, where you know you clearly have Kabbalistic symbolism where the nine gates, you know, if, if you've seen the movie, the nine gates that the, the Boris Balkan character is trying to, you know, unlock, these are the ninth Sephiroth of the Kabbalah, which leads to this tenth Sephiroth that ultimately leads to, you know, divine enlightenment, which he's trying to get. They turn it into devil worship in the movie for more, you know, more scandalous appeal. But the, the Balkan character, who, you know, who's performing this, you know, Galatia magic is clearly paralleling, you know, this English mystic named Aleister Crowley. You, you have the ancient grimoire, the nine gates. This, this come, the, the, the book that this is based on was written in the 1990s. I believe it's called the Club Dumas. I forget the name of the guy who writes it. But clearly the, 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 necro, you know, the Necronomicon of H.P. Lovecraft is clearly influencing the nine gates book. And then if, if, if you go, if you go, you know, when, when they're talking about the, the, the necro, or the, the nine gates book, it was, it was, it was owned by this um, this guy named Aristide de Torquia, who's burned at the stake. Um, this is clearly paralleling this this Dominican friar named Giordano Bruno, who's burned at the stake for dabbling in the same sort of material. Um, then you got the the one woman, the one, the villain woman in it, um, who's Lena Olin. Her first name is Liana, um, and this I talk about in my second book. The name Liana is paralleling this Gnostic god as Lilith, who is sort of this evil trickster character. Um, so you have a lot going on in that, in, you know, in that movie. And um, this is a good segue where I'm now actually, as I sit here today, um, you know, talking to you guys. I'm actually emailing the final version to my publisher probably within the next 14 hours. This is my second book called Cinema Symbolism, where. You know, we're going to still talk about Freemasonry, um, you know, and things of that nature. But we're going to talk about, you know, more about like astrological themes, astral themes. Um, what you know, Carl Gustav Jung, the famed psychologist, you archetypes. know, called yeah, the, the archetypes, the collective unconscious, um, tarot card symbolism. You know, some of the movies that I get into is, of course, the, the Matrix trilogy, which is you know has tons of stuff in it. Um, the first Exorcist movie, you know, has a lot of um, hidden symbols in it. The Omen trilogy, um, same sort of themes, you know, in, in that as well. Um, I do the whole thing with the um, Star Wars movies, all six of them. You know, they, they incorporate elements of Joseph Campbell's monomyth. Um, you know, and I, I get into um, you know some some concepts re- related to hermeticism and Gnosticism, which you'll see in movies like Fight Club, um, and you know the Truman Show with Jim Carrey. So um, that book, um, you know, I'm submitting it to my publisher, and I'm doing everything in my power to get it out before Christmas. And uh, when that's out, we'll I'll come back on the show and we'll do a whole thing on movie symbolism. Yeah, yeah, for sure, that'd be great. Yeah, for hey. sure. Was was Crowley a Mason? 
Yes, Aleister Crowley was a Freemason. He, he's more known. He's more known for being um, a, a member of two other secret societies. Um, I'll get to his Masonic membership in a minute, but he's more well known for being a, a member of uh, a, a group called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. This this was this was created by a Freemason named William Wynne Westcott in the Victorian era, in the late 19th century, I want to say in the, in the 1870s or thereabouts. Um, and, of course, Crowley was a member of this. Uh, the biggies in that group were, of course, McGregor Mathers. Um, he, he wrote numerous books on Kabbalah. Um, A.E. Waite was a Freemason involved with this. If, if you're familiar with tarot cards, um, you, you've heard of something called the Rider Waite deck. Um, he's the weight in the Rider Waite deck. Um, Bram Stoker, who was the author of Dracula, he was a member of the Golden Dawn, and so was the poet W.B. Yeats. Um, the Golden Dawn, for lack of a better word, and that's going to sound a little cliche, is basically Freemasonry, just with much more of a occult, Kabbalistic take. I mean, it's much more astrological, much more occultish, much more of an emphasis on magic, things of that nature. Crowley branches off and creates this this other group, or is at least as at least an early promulgator of it, called the OTO, um, which stands for the Odo Temple Orientis, or the Order of the Eastern Templars. Um, this is a more extreme version of the Golden Dawn, where and I should point out that both the Golden Dawn and the OTO are androgynous as well, where the OTO is trying to combine the same stuff from the Golden Dawn, only this other element of what's called sex magic, um, where, where you know through various sexual rites you're trying to produce a magical effect, for lack of a better word. Um, but getting back to your original question with Crowley, yeah, Crowley was a Freemason. He was initiated into a temple in France. The name escapes me right now. The reason why some people don't hold him out as a mason was because at the time the the, the lodge was in disrepute, or you know, there was a controversy going on with its, you know, with the the, the Grand Lodge of France. But the, the lodge has been retroactively recognized by the Grand Lodge of England. So yes, Crowley was a mason as well. Back to your uh, cinema symbolism. Does the Lord of the Rings fit into that at all? Oh yeah, um, I do. I do the entire Lord of the Rings uh, movies. Um, I don't do the Hobbit because they're still coming out, but I do the um, the Fellowship, the Two Towers, and the um, Return of the King movies. Or the Return of the King movie again. You're dealing with themes relating to. Um, uh, you know Campbell's monomyth, and you know you've got a lot of things going on. Tolkien was a um, expert on mythology. Um, you got a lot of Norse mythology coming out of those things, um, and you definitely have some astral, astrological symbolisms going on. Of course, you know you know we have the death and resurrection of Gandalf. Um, this is you know a common theme in these movies. This is a, a solar allegory, the death and resurrection of the sun. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I definitely cover the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Hmm. Yeah, I can't wait for that book to come out. Yeah, well, um, if 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 you're if you're interested, um, it, it, can I just throw these websites out? Yeah, there for sure. Point? Yeah, tell everybody where to find you and uh, and what what where you can get you on the web. Yeah, um, if you're interested in what you've heard tonight, um, I can be found at www.robertwsullivaniv, and that's the letters iv.com. From there. I'm on, you can follow links to my Twitter feed, my YouTube channel, which has videos up of me talking about the Royal Arch of Enoch book, plus other radio interviews. 
Um, you can go listen to those. Um, it, you know, it, there's links to my publisher's website. The Royal Archer Enoch book is out. Um, if you want to purchase that, it's. I would recommend going to www.rsplaunchpad.com. That's all lowercase, all one word. Rsplaunchpad.com. Um, you know, it's. You can buy the oversized paperback. The e-books for Kindle Nook are all sold through my publisher. You can go there. Um, and if, if you're interested in in the Royal Arch and the Cinema Symbolism book, and there are links from this on my website, but um, if you're just interested in those for right now, um, you can go to their Facebook like pages, which is facebook.com forward slash the Royal Arch of Enoch. That's all lowercase, all connected. And alternatively for the other one, it's facebook.com forward slash cinema symbolism, all connected, all lowercase, all, all one word. Um, you can go become a fan of the pages. And um, both these pages, as, long as, as well as my website, are routinely updated. So is my Twitter feed. So, you know, I'll be more than happy to interact with anyone who comes along. Wow, that's great. I really feel like uh, there were so many questions we had, and I feel like we only really scratched the surface. It's a pretty deep uh, subject here. Yeah, it's a 700-page book. Um, you know, so, I mean, you know, it, it's rare for whenever I do any of these interviews to cover everything. I mean, it would be quite, to be honest, it would be very impossible. But um, I really enjoyed the interview, and um, what, what I propose is when the movie book comes out, which, like I said, hopefully this will be sooner rather than later, um, I, I'd be more than happy to come on your show, and we can, um, you know, split it up any way you want. We can do more Royal Arch. We can do movie symbolism. We can do just off movie symbolism, whatever you want to do. Um, but I'd be more, most welcome. I'd be more than welcome to come back on your show and do this all over again. Yeah, that sounds great. We'd love to have you. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Robert. It's been a great chat. Well, I appreciate you having me on um, your program tonight. And um, again, it was my pleasure being here. And um, when the movie book comes out, we'll, we'll, we'll come back for round two for this. was our fascinating chat with robert w sullivan yeah that was good that was pretty cool i uh i, I was pretty surprised that you could become a 32nd degree mason that quickly yeah yeah I, I feel like we just really scratched the surface we could just go gone into symbolism more and and the overlapping i wanted to ask him about the overlapping between like the bilderbergers and skull and bones and all these other societies yeah maybe i'll become a 30 second maybe i'll become a mason i want to talk to my cousin he's one i want to let's get him on the show yeah I, my grandpa was a mason really yeah hmm. maybe that's my in <laughs> and I, you can be does apparently it doesn't matter what race you are or anything like that i wasn't sure if you could be but, indian and shit and be yeah i was just gonna say as long as you're not a woman or yeah i'm pretty sure anything goes as long as you're not a woman so <laughs> tough break ladies I didn't make the rules.
So I'm just about uh, off to Paradigm here. Yeah, this is going to come out when you're at Paradigm. Okay, so I'm at Paradigm. <laughs> cool. How is it? That's good. <laughs> right on. Did you see anyone yet? No. Well, this is like the future. Yeah, this is We're the future. The future right now. <laughs> awesome. I should check who won some football games. So who's up next? I don't think we have anyone booked up for next week, actually, because uh, we're recording this intro quite a bit early because Graham's going out of town for a while. Um, but we'll have someone. It'll be a surprise, I suppose. Yeah, we've got lots of uh, lots of people lined up for the future. It's just with the Paradigm and the Mushroom episode coming out. Uh... Yeah, it actually could turn out that this the next episode next week could actually be the uh, psilocybin experience. Oh, is that what you're calling it now? Well, whatever, yeah. It's it's morphing. So other than that, I think that's about it. As always, you'll find everything we talked about uh, in the interview, in the show notes, as well as all the music you heard in this episode and, and all that kind of jazz. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, we'll, uh, if you want to send any feedback, i, I got to keep saying it. Graham at GrahamAmerica.com is my email. Yeah, and I'm Darren uh, at GrimeAmerica.com. Um, and, of course, Twitter at GrimeAmerica and Facebook slash GrimeAmerica. Um, and that's about it. Yeah, thanks. See you guys uh, next week.
Freemasonry. Now you can listen to me or not, but I believe it's simple. Freemasonry is the very measure of a man. Look in every city and town in America and you'll see right out in the open a building adorned with the square and compasses. Think for a moment. Freemasonry uses the oldest tools of antiquity. Those tools of measurement used by the stonemasons, like the square and the compasses to demonstrate and pass on the great truths and wisdom of the ages. We use tools of measurement because Freemasonry believes a man's greatness can be measured, not by his wealth or fame, but by his deeds, his character, his truth, his tolerance, his charity, his trust, his friendship, his love for his fellow creatures. It's been said that human happiness comes from the smallest of improvements. So he that can affect positive change, even by a simple kindness, adds wealth to the common stock of humanity. Freemasonry therefore believes greatness can be seen in a man's positive effect in the world. And that to do good is the best way to glorify God. Where the roots of Freemasonry began, no one can say for certain they're hidden in antiquity. And perhaps that is best, at least for me. I became a Freemason in the Age of Enlightenment, a time much like you now live, a time of great light, where science had changed the way we live. I only wish that the moral sciences could do the same, because it seems to me that the great religions of the world all provide a moral compass to their faithful. And while each man must wrestle in private with his personal relationship with God, Freemasonry offers an ecumenical brotherhood a fraternity composed of men of all religions, founded on the practice of the great moral and social virtues. And that's why you see on our symbol, the letter G. It is there to remind us that God is part of each of our lives and that the all-seeing eye of God will take the true measurement of our action. Freemasonry has three great lights by which we measure ourselves as men and masons, the square, the compasses, and the volume of sacred law we place them upon. That sacred book, one revered by the individual mason, is where we take our oaths, lay the foundation of our lives. The square, providing direction, 
helps us to square our actions by the square of virtue. Because virtue is the stone used to build the man and his temple. Virtue is the cement that binds our relationships. And it is by our virtues that we are measured. The compasses are the tools of our conscience. We learn by the compasses to circumscribe our desires and keep our passions within due bounds with all mankind. The compasses create a circle, the precise circumference required to keep tradition and revelation, principle and creativity in balance. Now, as to the great secret of Freemasonry, it is actually found in the unconscious of each person. It is discovered by each individual for himself, Mason or not, as he comes to know himself and finds the road that takes him to his city. Because the real secret of Freemasonry is finding out who you are. The Mason square doth clear the air of folly and deception. The rule is straight, the angle clear, for greatness has direction. By the compasses abide the points within so far and wide. No pleasure sway nor profit tempt these bounds of Mason pride. Greatness, what your virtues are. Good deeds practiced wide and far. And that secret of Masonic love is learning who you really are. For the great book knows what man can't hide. A life that's measured from inside. And on that book, that oath we took, and we will break it never, but stand by this, and this, and this, forever and forever.